Mel. And Kel. And this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? We are back and we are ready to go with cultural wedding customs by country and then just a little Catholic razzle dazzle sprinkling on the top at the end here. Part two, baby. Part two. Part two. Let's just dive right in. The meal at a British wedding is known as the wedding breakfast. Couples about to marry were required to be on a fast prior to the wedding ceremony. The couples then broke their fast after the ceremony, which I think that's a while because you obviously need to eat the morning of your wedding. I'm sorry. All the nerves. They would eat a large meal of wine, cakes, and meats. It was the first meal the bride and groom would have together as a couple after the wedding ceremony. Imagine not eating all day at your wedding. I mean, I don't think I did. I feel like I feel like you just run around like crazy and you don't really get a chance to eat. I need like a little something. I can't have a fakiza on my wedding day. <laughs> Look, I really don't think we did. Like we were in the the salon all morning and then we came home, we got ready, we got dressed, we went to the church for like one o'clock, and then we went to the reception after that. And typically the bride and groom don't even get to partake in like cocktail hour, which is when people start getting food because they have to go off and take pictures during cocktail hour. So like they usually get forgotten about with hors d'oeuvres. Right. Unless you specifically request to have them come and give you hors d'oeuvres during your picture hour. I think we, yeah, of course, we must eat something the day of. I don't think there was no food. Where was the food going to be coming from? It's a good question because we, we were in a hotel the night before and then we went down to where you live the next day. We drove to go to the salon first thing in the morning. <laughs> where was the comida? I don't I guess you're right. We must have ate something though. There was no way we went all day. People were eating, it just wasn't us. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. I'm pretty sure my dad invited like my whole family to like my house. That I remember. While I was at the salon and then I came back and I was just frantic getting ready. Like they probably had all kinds of melisades and shit out for everyone else, but like I don't remember eating anything i just remember i I think we were like late from the salon to i want to say and i just remember russian right got back to your house i do remember russian right there's no eating so a few other united kingdom related things it was custom for the bride's father to present his son-in-law with one of his daughter's shoes as a token of the transfer of authority and the bride was made to feel that change by a blow to her head given by the shoe. Oh, okay. So an assault. <laughs> it's more assault. <laughs> Before she got hit with the shoe, I was already appalled at the fact that the bride's dad was like transferring the shoe as a token of the transfer of authority. Like, oh, the authority from the dad to the daughter and then the authority of the husband to the wife. Like, I was already pissed before I read the end of the sentence. Which was giving her a shapada with a shoe. It's all fucked. <laughs> As a point of honor, the man was allowed to bestow on his wife moderate castigation. Old Welsh tales tell us that three blows with a broomstick on any part of the person except the head is a fair allowance. And another provides that the stick not be larger than the husband's arm nor thicker than his middle finger. The fuck? The fuck is right. You're allowed moderate amounts of assault. And this is like your wedding day, by the way. Three blows with a broomstick on any part of your body except the head. We reserve that for the shoe beating. Oh, my God. Crazy. And the broomstick can't be bigger than the finger or the arm? Not longer than the husband's arm, not thicker than his middle finger. Let's hope he doesn't have sausage fingers. (laughs) (laughs) oh shit in england it was customary instead of strewing the couple's paths with flowers to strew it with emblems of the groom's calling so if he was a carpenter they put down sawdust if he was a butcher they put down skins of slaughtered sheep 
Oh, that's beautiful. If he was a blacksmith, they put down rusty nails, etc. <laughs> All right, so get some tetanus on the way. Again, why the fuck the men? Why can't it be anything about the woman? Well, it's probably illegal for her to work, so she doesn't have an <laughs> occupation. Well, it comes full circle. In Scotland, they have a tradition, or ha- I should say had, had. I don't know if they're still doing this. Who knows? But the it's called blackening. The bride and or groom are ca- quote unquote captured by friends and family, covered in food or a variety of other preferably adhesive substances, and then paraded publicly for the community to see. Frequently, the couple are driven in the back of an open-backed truck, accompanied by the clattering and banging of pots and pans by the couple's captors. There are no strict rules regarding the act of blackening itself, only that the couple must be rendered messy and uncomfortable and that as many people as possible should witness the occasion. The most famous occurrence was performed on Melanie Richmond. She was covered in tripe, pig's blood, and feathers before marching from Elgin to Aberdeen over the course of five days. (laughs) What? The blackening has evolved from an earlier Scottish ritual called the feet washing. How did they get from feet washing to smearing pig intestines and feathering <laughs> somebody? So basically, tar and feathering basically, basically is what they're doing, right? They're putting some kind of sticky substance down and then sticking shit to it. I'm thinking of a Home Alone situation. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin McAllister, right? Doesn't he put something tar and then the feathers? He does. He totally does. Yes. So this is what this is what they're doing to brides and groom. So this reminds me of the office, like the German tradition of capturing. Doesn't Angela get captured by Moe's? She gets abducted. Yeah, yeah. Which that's the thing where uh, being abducted is one of them, and they have to get like ransom from from the groom. But yes, <laughs> Angela did. And they didn't tar and feather her, but. No. This, so this is aggressive. This is not only are you abducted, but you're also tarred, feathered, and publicly paraded around to humiliate you. I want to go ahead and say maybe they're not doing this anymore. One, one would hope. Because <laughs> I would be really busy. Talk about leaving your husband for cake smashing. <laughs> no, but this is not your husband no, captur- capturing No, I know you. it's not, but I would be like, getting married if i'm getting tarred and freaking feathered <laughs> right but like your husband is potentially also being captured as well like the two of you are tarred and feathered in the back of a pickup truck driving around rural scotland as he should probably though because he probably deserves it in france one of their biggest traditions is a wedding parade and i thought it was kind of cute because it mostly often performed in small villages. So I was just thinking like our parents in the Azores and their small villages. The groom arrived at the home of his bride-to-be on the morning of their wedding, where together they will walk to the chapel. The session is led by musicians and followed by the bride with her father. The guests and family follow behind the groom and his mother at the very back of the line. As the bride is walking, village children stretch white ribbon across the road that the bride must cut as she passes. This tradition is meant to symbolize the bride overcoming obstacles married life might bring. And then dinner is served, which I was like, this is kind of cool, but I can't stay up late anymore. But dinner is served late and the dancing usually starts around midnight and goes late till 7 a.m. in the morning. Just midnight is when the party starts. Dude, my wedding was over by 9 (laughs) p.m. You had to pay extra for the venue to go. Like, you have only so many hours at the venue. Like, we got to our venue probably like three or four o'clock, and then we only had it. They give you like four hours. I had to pay for like extra hours just to get it to like nine o'clock. And then I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Do you remember how much extra it was just for that one hour? I don't remember. Probably in the thousands of dollars. Yeah. That's insane. Portugal. I always love like, looking up Portuguese traditions because most often it's stuff that I'm not aware of. It's stuff that we didn't do as as our little Portuguese Americans over here. 
I guess before I get into their traditions, I just want to shout out Portugal for being one of the first countries to legalize same-sex marriage. Awesome. It's surprising, isn't it? It is. Netherlands was first in 2001, but then there was like countries were like far and few between after that. So Portugal in 2010 was the eighth country, eighth country overall. That's fucking awesome. To legalize same-sex marriage, despite being overwhelmingly Catholic. Right, yeah. And then in the U.S., individual states had done it, but nationwide legalization was not until 2015, so five years later. Crazy. But it's legal now. That's awesome for Portugal. (laughs) Talk about being on on the forefront. It's it's just interesting to me. Yeah. No, because it you wouldn't like you mentioned it's like a Catholic country, so it would be kind of difficult since you know they don't believe in that. The Severian Church in power. <laughs> They're using our example. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. In Portugal, it's customary for the oldest members of the community to attend the bachelor or bachelorette parties. I don't know if they have bachelorette parties, but to attend those parties. Like you just go around and find the oldest Timonel from your village or the oldest people in your community. Oh, I like that. And you bring them on over to the bachelor party. Isn't that hysterical? They probably one of the ones that stays up the latest. You <laughs> <laughs> bring all the vavos and vavos to, <laughs> to the party. I love that. This sounds a little bit similar to France in the villages where the bride walks from her house to the church the bridal procession is literally a procession going to the church to the church and like the guests going to like follow behind her and i think the groom is waiting at the church for her so like they make the girl have to go walk around the fucking village in heels and like the man just gets to be like oh just i'm just gonna wait at the church for you (laughs) i was just gonna say what is the shoe situation like i can't imagine it's (laughs) like a reebok sneaker so like i think (laughs) I think it's going to be uncomfortable no matter what it is, right? Yeah, and especially in those streets, they're not like smooth and paved. And they're they're very mountainous. Yeah. <laughs> like homegirl's going to get to the church and she's going to be sweating through her dress. <laughs> Hiking boots on, that, that's it. <laughs> it says they do passing of the bride's shoe for the guests to stuff with money at the reception we've known it always as like the dollar dance, like the money dance kind of thing. I don't ever remember it being with like a shoe to stuff with money, but the dollar dance was definitely a thing. Yeah, I remember the dollar dance. You would get in line with your dollar and would you pin it? You would pin it, right? Or something on the bread or? I never remember pinning it, but some cultures pin the money. They do. It is a thing that they pin the money to the dress, but I don't ever remember doing that growing up like there was always like a little like a bashketa. <laughs> i think there was or like maybe the groom just pocketed it i don't know <laughs> dude but like passing around a shoe the bride's shoe how much money could you fit in a strappy sandal like i don't understand like you better be bringing that reebok <laughs> that's gonna be an over me i don't want that shoe after she's been wearing it all day and walking and hiking in it <laughs> to get to the church Right, and then you're going to go take it off and pass it around. <laughs> what is she doing while the shoe is being passed around? Like, hopping around on one leg? Like, <laughs> Has it gone up with inflation? Is it now a $10 dance? Oh, that's a good point. It's a very good point. It has to go, yeah, because a dollar nowadays can't get you anything. Maybe a few years ago it was 5 Now that the eggs are way too expensive, it's 10 Next year, 15 <laughs> Especially because like the weddings are getting smaller now. So like there's like fewer people being invited. If you only got 50 people at your wedding, even if every single person comes up to dance with you, you made $50. Like whoops, you fucking do, right? Yeah. Especially if you're spending like 35 grand on a wedding. You can't even cover the tax. God, you don't even know what a wedding costs is today. I spent 35 on mine 10 years ago and it was very not extravagant at all. Maybe double that. I did not do a dollar dance at my wedding, but I always remember doing it as a kid. First slice of cake goes to a single person to give them good luck. 
And so instead of the married people cutting the cake and eating it, it goes to the single person. And single people are supposed to sleep with a slice of cake under their pillow to dream of their future mate. Some cultures, bridesmaids would sleep with cake in their left stocking. And then there was also something about having to like push the cake through the wedding rings before you put it under your pillow. That was the thing. So like it just sounds real fucking messy. If I'm shoving a piece of cake underneath my pillow to quote meet my husband or think or dream my husband, I'm eating that cake. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. It's not staying there all night. I'm eating it. <laughs> I'm gonna drown my sorrows in this cake, right? My best friend just got married. I'm eating this cake in bed. <laughs> Fuck my future husband. Like what what is the what's the play there? Like I don't even understand. Like, are you going home and you're just dirtying up your sheets with this cake? (laughs) So now at the way, so they cut this slice of cake. So you can't even eat that slice of cake at the reception because you have to save it to put it on your pillowcase. Right. So either either you're getting two pieces of cake or you're getting to eat no cake. (laughs) Eat the cake, honey. Always eat the cake. But even in some of the traditions I read, it talks about like pushing the cake through the wedding ring. Like you had to first take mm. the cake. So like you're crumbling it up into fucking smithereens to push it all through a wedding ring and then just taking back like just in your mala, like just shoving cake crumbles into your mala to bring home at after the Venus at the end. You go home and <laughs> with your cake, with, with your, your pretty- cake out of cake your crumbs. mala. And you put it under your pillow and you make a fucking mess. Like, that's why you're still single. Yeah, exactly. You're making poor decisions. <laughs> oh, dang. Well, so you fucked up. You didn't give me a cake. Of, you didn't give me a slice of cake. Yeah, I blame you for being single still. Yeah, go put this under your pillow with the Sheridan. We'll see how they like it in the morning. Housekeeping. I get charged a freaking damage room fee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just like I'm, I'm still alone and i have to pay <laughs> security deposit on my room oh god there's just there's so many of these like traditions for people that are single it's so funny there's so much stuff it's crazy it's like being single was so frowned upon like they were not okay with being single when like the more i read about married people i'm like that ain't it that ain't the way <laughs> you know if a younger sibling marries before an older sibling the older sibling must dance barefoot at the reception otherwise they won't find a partner (laughs) are you taking (laughs) notes yes so the great escape is towards the end of the night the bride and groom are expected to quite literally escape from the wedding to spend their first night alone together. Although this is often easier said than done with guests doing everything in their power to deter them from leaving. The escape of the bride and groom becomes a huge competition of great theatricality and humor with guests often playing a series of pranks ranging from hiding their luggage, taking the car away to keeping them under the spotlight all night. We're, we're resorting to grand theft auto. <laughs> and hiding their luggage. We're stealing the car, is, is what I'm reading here. Just so the bride and groom can spend more time at the wedding. I wanted to Irish exit out of that motherfucker so bad. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> Not to mention, this is Portugal we're talking about here, right? So, like, you know they're all drunk. Yeah, absolutely. All the tios are drunk at the bar. Hey, all right, let's, send, let's go take the car. Like, no, Timonel, let's not go take the car. You shouldn't be driving the car. Timonel, the next morning, doesn't know where he put the car. (laughs) He hid the car real well. (laughs) Especially on the island? Fuck. (laughs) Good luck. This one is so Portuguese. I don't know that I've heard it specifically, but it just sounds so Portuguese. On the night of the wedding, the first one to fall asleep will be the first one to die. Jesus (laughs) Christ. That's so morbid. Just laying in bed, just the whole night waiting. 
<laughs> You're gonna fall asleep before me, motherfucker. Dude. Holy crap. <laughs> but like Portuguese people, they always say it's like what? The husbands that always die first. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you think about it, right? It doesn't like they always say like the husbands always go first. I got two grandmothers living right now. Both my grandmothers were the last one to live. So it's always like the husbands go. So it's like, did those motherfuckers fall asleep first? You know they did. You know they do. They were fucking snoring before she even took off her borrowed panties. If you just freaking stayed awake, they had so much wine. They just they're in the full on vavu sleep position, just snoring head back. They paid the price. They paid the price for that night. They paid the ultimate price. The groom's family. This also sounds super Portuguese too. So the groom's family traditionally gave the couple. An extravagant gift, such as a new house. That's aggressive. <laughs> After the wedding, they were foreseen to immediately move into this house. The guests of the wedding are expected to give gifts that they can use in their new home. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Sounds totally normal. However, it says the couple still lives with their parents before the marriage. So the wedding gifts are sent to the bride's family's house. The gifts are then displayed so that visiting friends and relatives can look at and talk about them. The family usually serves tea and cake as this happens. That is so freaking Portuguese. Right? The gifts need to be displayed so they can be discussed. Come on over and let's look at the gifts together. Let's have some tea and pshkutch and look at the gifts and talk about. <laughs> They're going to talk shit. They're going to gossip. Who spent how much money on what? <laughs> it's like the floral arrangements at the funeral. Exactly. Oh, that's go- oh, that's so Portuguese. Could you imagine displaying all the gifts that you got? Like a fucking blender. Like, and who, what was from who, and just, like, putting it all, like, on the table for display for your visitas to come and look at. Oh, like, you have, like, an air fryer displayed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's from Uncle Tony. He gave me air fryer. <laughs> yeah, because I can just, I can picture that, though. Like, I can picture it. <laughs> Like, I can picture having, like, the little, t- the meza is all set with, like, the Christmas petits. Yeah. <laughs> and they come over and they're eating their little meal trada, like, the little little fried corn and favish, and they're just having a little calzing, picking apart your gifts from everyone. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Italian couples are very superstitious. In many Italian weddings, the bride and groom will carry small trinkets to bring good luck. Even before the bride leaves for church, the bride is not allowed to see herself in the mirror before she is married. The only way to avoid the bad luck that is ensured to follow would be to remove either one glove or one shoe before taking a peek. Once she is ready to leave to meet her husband-to-be, she will make a small tear in her veil for good luck for future years to come. They have a dance called La Tarantella or Tarantula. The tarantula? Yeah. <laughs> so what is called the tarantula is way many guests wish the newly married couples good luck. Dancers hold hands and race clockwise until the music speeds up. And then they reverse directions. The tempo and direction continue to change until the group eventually falls down into a pile. Which I feel like I've seen that in movies or something. Where they like end up just kind of fall into like a pile. It's cute, but all I can think of is like the I'm just playing the chicken dance music in my head. That's got to be a Portuguese tradition there. What is the chicken dance? What What is that? It's not English, right? Like the aren't the lyrics not English? No, it's not. The chicken dance. We're taking a side note, guys. So Google the chicken dance. It's German, maybe? German and Czech immigrants brought it over. It's like a polka music. Oh, son of a bitch. It's not even Portuguese. Swiss accordion player Werner Thomas created a song in the dance in the 1950s. 
more than 140 versions of the song have been recorded. So I wonder if there's, is there a Portuguese version maybe of it? And that's what we listen to. So as a thank you gift, Boomboneers, which are wedding favors, are distributed to the guests at the end of the night. These favors traditionally consist of a small present of some sort, sugared almonds, and topped off with a lush ribbon. I love their amandwish. However, the number of the sugared almonds inside each box is extremely important. There should be an odd number of treats inside, like five or seven, to keep the couple's good luck streak going. So they are very superstitious. Super, super stitious. <laughs> what does Michael Scott say? I'm not superstitious, just a little stitious. I think I saw in some parts of Italy, the bride and groom break a vase or a glass at the wedding reception. Number of pieces the vase breaks into is said to represent the number of happy years the couple will have together. There's So there's so many traditions. (laughs) So basically, all I'm thinking here is, let's just put the pieces together here, right? So you're breaking glass. And then the single eldest daughter has to come and dance barefoot on the dance floor. <laughs> Just they hate single people. <laughs> they really do. In Spain, it is traditional for the groom to give his bride 13 coins as a symbol of his commitment to providing for her. The coins are often presented in a decorative box or tray. Homeboy, if you can only give me 13 cents (laughs) to prove your commitment to providing financially for me. Walk away. (laughs) Yikes. We're going to need some bigger bills, sir. With this economy. (laughs) This economy, 13 coins. Are you kidding me? Three days before a wedding, Greeks host a cravati, which is just a Greek word for bed which goes back to ancient Greece where the bridesmaids or unmarried female family members and friends of the bride come to the couple's home to decorate the marital bed with things such as roses, petal, like rose petals, ribbons, and rice. So some of the elements that go on this bed <laughs> are money, which symbolizes prosperity, is added to the bed first. Sir, that's prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> Rice is then thrown on the bed, which is which is symbolic by putting down roots. These roots are a good backdrop for a healthy marriage. And then this is... finally, a baby is placed on the mattress. If a girl is decided as the firstborn, a girl will be placed on the mattress. A real live baby? I read it some said it was like a real live baby or like it was like a toy baby. I don't know if any of you have any Greek listeners, let us know. And same, if you want a boy, then a boy will be placed. I don't want rice in my bed. I don't want a baby on my bed. <laughs> well, like, is the baby just like placed there temporarily and removed, or is the baby <laughs> is left just... there for the wedding evening? <laughs> I don't want none of it. The names of all single ladies in the bridal party are written on the bottom of the bride's wedding shoe. Tradition has it that the last name to have rubbed off the shoe will be next to get married, or it could be that the first name to be rubbed off will be the next to be married. So I don't know which, whatever tradition you believe in. So if you're the last name, you'll be married. If you're the first name to get rubbed off, you're the next to be married. You're right. You're taking a Sharpie to the (laughs) shoe. (laughs) It gets crazy. So guests at a Greek wedding will pretend to spit onto the bride and groom as they walk down the aisle as a married couple for the first time. Spitting on the couple is traditionally done three times to protect the couple couple from, you guess it, evil spirits. (laughs) Always. We're spitting on people to protect them from evil spirits, but not from COVID. Nope. (laughs) COVID's out the window. Got more more important things to protect us from. Gotcha. Okay. And then we all know about the smashing of the plates, right? Mm. In the Greek wedding. Oopa. Oopa. That's right. It was once believed that a celebration can draw the attention of some bad NG or even worse, some uh, really bad spirits. Ward off evil spirits that might wreak havoc on a newly married couple. 
fashioned a few plates was considered to serve as camouflage. The violence of the plate breaking was to serve as an indicator that the event, in fact, was not a happy occasion. So I'd love to know if it's still something that they do or if they just don't do it anymore. Do you have any Greek listeners? <laughs> I went to a Greek wedding a few years ago and they didn't break plates. They did something with dollars. Like they were like making it rain with dollars, like on the dance floor, I thought. But like, I don't, but no they didn't break a plate. Plates. No. We're going to switch gears from countries to Catholics. And just kind of talking about the whole role of the church and priests and Catholic beliefs surrounding marriage. One of the things that you have to do before you get married is called pre-cana, which is basically supposed to be like a marriage prep. And so I guess the idea at its surface of like, hey, having some prep for marriage is like, okay, yeah, whatever, that's great. Is similar to like you should have prep for like having a baby. It's like something, it's like a new life thing they don't really prepare you very well for. <laughs> so it's like, okay, great. But then you actually start getting into like the pre cana stuff and it was problematic to say the least. At the church that I got married in, you had to meet with the priest and then he kind of goes and talks through all this stuff with you. And he asks some probing questions to find out more information, you know, about like where you're living, where you're sleeping. Are you using a bundling board? (laughs) (laughs) You had to sit and just be like, yeah, we live together. Yeah, we've lived together for years. That's very frowned upon by the church. So the priest I already told you suggested that I not wear white to the wedding. And then he also suggested that we sleep in separate rooms leading up to the wedding. I don't know when I was meeting with him, but let's say I was meeting with him like six months before the wedding. He was like, oh, I suggest that you start now and like basically like a born again virgin situation where you can go and sleep in a different room as your spouse until the wedding. So ridiculous. I was like, oh, yeah, we will certainly consider that. (laughs) Right. I mean, now it sounds pretty wonderful, actually. (laughs) Like, it's just so old. The thinking is just so old, and it's it's frustrating. I hadn't been so connected to the church. Of course, like, I went to Catholic school my whole life. But from when I graduated high school to getting married, like I didn't really do any church things or anything of that nature. Having this taste of dealing with the priest for the pre cana stuff, I was like, it turned me right off of the fucking religion. I was like, nope, nope, nope. They make you start to attend mass regularly. Like they want to like keep track of your envelopes leading up to the wedding. They want your envelopes. They want your envelopes. So they want to make sure you're attending mass regularly leading up to the wedding, all that shit. At this particular church, they set you up with a sponsor couple. So I had to go and meet with another random ass couple that we didn't know as our sponsor couple for marriage. Drive to this couple's house and sit and have meetings with them more than once. We would just sit on their couch in their living room or like out on the patio and they would just ask us questions and then they would share overshare details about their life and their marriage that sounds like a nightmare and like they were like drifting apart and now they're stronger than ever with the grace of god and i'm like oh (laughs) (laughs) i know that makes me all i can't it was just It was a whole lot to take in. And then they start asking you like all these like questions. And I remember specifically they asked us about IVF. You know, the church's position on fertility treatments, right? So like, what are you guys planning for in the event that you can't have a baby? Because obviously like marriage in the church, like the whole point of marriage is like they want you to freaking pop out as many kids as possible what is your plan if you can't conceive naturally or something like that? Like, I forget how they phrased it. And I I was like, do IVF? Like, do fertility treatments? I don't know. Like, we were still young. We weren't even married yet. 
they were like, well, that's not allowed in the church. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, so it's not molesting boys, but, you know, that's not allowed in the church. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> not allowed, period. But And I ended up going on to have my kid through IVF. At the time, I didn't know if I was going to need IVF or not, but like I was definitely open to it. You don't know if you can't have kids until you actually are trying. Like, I don't know if I can have kids. Right. But they were already prepping you for that in pre-K to be like, okay, if this happens, you're not, you know, you're not allowed to do this. Right. Like, so what's your plan? It was just, oh, IVF, you're not going to know about it. Guess what? The same priest baptized my IVF baby. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Oh, the other thing that was part of this pre cana that they made me attend natural family planning classes, NFP. And I was not aware of the natural fa- family planning process prior to this. And the priest said, I need you to meet with so and so. Basically, he sent me over to like a church basement type of vibe place. Like I was in like the hall in the basement Mm -hmm. to meet a woman in some classroom at night, like after work during the week. (laughs) I drive over to this church basement. This woman meets me with her keys at the door. She takes me down. We're the only two people in this place. It's like freaking deserted, right? It's so creepy. She rolls in one of these like 1990s like tv carts with television on top with the vcr and i was like oh shit and this is in like 2012 so like this fucking thing had no business being there (laughs) (laughs) so she rolls this thing out and i'm like oh we're breaking out the vhs this is going to be some modern teachings on family planning i bet she busts out this vhs tape and i watch it and i was mortified so the whole thing was going on about how your marriage and you need to consummate your marriage by having all the children contraceptive devices are not allowed by any way shape or form not a condom (laughs) not anything no plan b no marinas nothing the goal is to get you pregnant no birth control all of that yeah disallowed big red x right and then it starts talking about how you can do natural family planning if you don't just want to be pregnant for your entire life. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Like repeatedly, one after another. If you would like to family plan appropriately so that there's some gap years in there, maybe. Oh, 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 nice. Thank you for that. (laughs) If you'd like to do that, then you're allowed to use this method, which consists of feeling up your vaginal discharge throughout your cycle right (laughs) this was a vhs remember so like they're showing you what you do with your vaginal discharge so when you go to the bathroom you just you just grab some with your fingers and you you pick up your your fingers and you spread them apart and you see what happens to the discharge depending on how stringy it is (laughs) tells you where you are in your cycle so that you could plan or avoid a pregnancy what is this like fucking spaghetti when it's cooked throw it against the wall see if it sticks (laughs) yes so basically like what is the the texture and consistency of your vaginal discharge they they so they were playing with discharge or I don't know, maybe egg whites, whatever they were using to formulate discharge in the videos. They're playing with it between their fingers. And I'm like, is this bitch telling me to go and pull out my, like, play with my discharge? <laughs> like, what is going on? This is where you come back and say, do you have any questions? <laughs> yes, she absolutely did. And I just like sat there and was like, uh, no, this, uh, this all looks pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> I'll be leaving now. Is this a process that everyone that has to do, like when they get married in the Catholic Church, or was this just like your specific parish? I think these are all parts of pre-cana that you're supposed to have. I'm sure churches all like do it a little bit differently. Like I don't know that everybody's rolling out the TV with the VHS in the basement, but hopefully they have it on DVD at this point. <laughs> the natural family planning method of the Catholic Church—it's not even like 
successful. So it's like it has a 75% success rate. So like 25% of the time, like you're still getting pregnant anyway, even though you fondled your discharge. I didn't even shot that even like works somewhat, I guess. Like that actually works. It's like no different than just like looking at a fucking calendar. Like, okay, I get my pay get my period every 28 days and 14 day cycle so i'm ovulating on this day and like these are the three days before and after ovulation and like so it's really just like like calendar charting of your period and just basically like trying to target having sex during infertile periods if you're not trying to get pregnant so like the window of time before you're ovulating and they do like a whole basal body temperature it's all it's like similar shit to what you would be tracking if you were trying to get pregnant i guess but they're using it as a non-effective avoidance technique instead of the more effective ways (laughs) such as condoms and birth control. Who is using that method? Not me. (laughs) Definitely not me. You know who's using that method? And I know they've become a controversial family. The freaking Duggars. 18 and counting, whatever the hell those... That's who's probably some of them, God bless them, have gotten out. I think some of the sisters, they pieced out because they knew how crazy it was. The older brother that's in jail, I don't know his deal. That's who's using that method. <laughs> that's what happens when you use that method. <laughs> you have a kid every nine months. She was legit pregnant, like what, every year? She had to be. Start off from the first one. Yeah. It's insane. In this economy, no thanks. All right. So now let me just kind of get into like some deets about some of this shit. It's a normal procedure for priests to ask the prospective bride and groom about their plans to have children before officiating at their wedding. The Catholic Church may refuse to marry anyone unwilling to have children since procreation is a fundamental part of marriage. Thus, usage of any form of contraception, in vitro fertilization, or birth control besides natural family planning is a grave offense against the sanctity of marriage and ultimately against God. It's like a mortal sin. (laughs) I personally don't think he gives a shit. Forced children. No. You should never be putting people in a position that don't want to have kids. Like, don't force people into that. Right, so you either need to, to lie to the priest and say, yes, I do want to have kids, and then just not have them, or it's... it's oh. Kids are who are going to suffer, because they're going to have like parents that didn't want them. But that's a whole other issue. So then there's like the whole thing about like cohabitation and living together before marriage, and Pope Francis, which I'm watching a movie about him right now, <laughs> I haven't finished it yet. I'm halfway through. I'm watching Two Popes with Anthony Hopkins. It's about the transition of power between Benedict and Francis. It's actually very <laughs> riveting. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Pope Francis, which is our current Pope, and who's like the most progressive one that we've had so far, I think. But he has married a cohabitating couple who had children. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come a long way. The Pope himself married somebody who had like children before they were married and they were living together. And that's how it should be. People would be more into religion if it wasn't all these insane rules. Like, I, I don't know if it was my parents who were like cherry picking, like picking and choosing like which rules they like. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't I don't believe in that. But like, I believe in all this, but like not that. And it's like, well, I started to believe in less than I believed in. So it was like. At some point, you're no longer cherry picking. You're just you're just not in that religion. I'm out. <laughs> the whole thing with like co- cohabitation, just in general, and women, and the whole just the times right now is different times than what these women had to deal with. So there's this documentary in Ireland that presented the story of elderly women who described their experiences with repeated acts of rape in marriage and the children born from these rapes. During a time when marital rape was not criminalized, contraception, abortion, and divorce were all illegal, and the marriage bar restricting married women's employment outside of the home was in force. Marital rape in Ireland was made illegal in 1990, and divorce was legalized in 1996. So it's just like these women were just fucking trapped. You couldn't work. 
So like you had to get married because that was like what was expected of you, right? So you just get married, but then you couldn't work because you were married, but then you were also forced into having children. You were forced into having sex with your husband, even if you didn't want to. That wasn't criminalized because he was your husband. So it's like not considered rape. And then you couldn't get a divorce. You couldn't use contraception. So you had basically forced pregnancies and forced children. And you couldn't get a divorce because that was illegal. Oh, oh my God. It makes me so angry. In 2009, Pope Benedict asserted that handing out condoms is not the solution to combating AIDS and might make the problem worse. He proposed spiritual and human awakening and, quote, friendship for those who suffer as solutions. Excuse me? He didn't want to use condoms to help with AIDS. He suggested friendship for those who suffer. So friendship will help, I'm sure, but... You know what's going to work is condoms. <laughs> oh, Pope Benny. Pope Benny. Anthony Hopkins. He was what? The one before? Who is he? He's the one before the current Pope, okay. Pope Francis. Which Pope Benny, I'm learning in my movie, he resigned. He resigned. You're supposed to die in the papacy, <laughs> the papal office. You're supposed to die. You're, you're the Pope until you die. He resigned. It was like the first time in like 700 years that a Pope had resigned and not died in office. Was it because of his condom issue? <laughs> I, I haven't finished the movie yet, but I think it was amidst scandals of the pedophile nature. Not necessarily him, but just the cover-ups. I think that's where the movie's headed. And so he resigned in 2013, and he just died like a month ago. He just died like 10 okay. years after he resigned. So what was he doing after that? Those 10, like, what do you do after not being a pope anymore? Do you think he golfs? <laughs> I'm going to find out in this movie. This movie's, called, this movie's called Two Popes. So I think it's just two popes. <laughs> just chilling in the vatican i like john paul he was cute he was so cute i don't know i don't know his scandals i don't know what if he was against condoms no idea but he was just he was he was a cutie <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i don't know what happens where he's been for the past 10 years he claimed he couldn't he wasn't sleeping well through the night and that's why he had to resign from the people office <laughs> Maybe you become like, do you go back to being like a bishop? Isn't that what you are before you're a pope, a bishop? I think you're some kind of like, you know, like once a president, always a president. Like, I think you're kind of like, you're just, you're like a lame duck pope. I, so I thought that was interesting because I saw him get elected. So I remember I was in Paris when he got elected and I watched it ah, on the hotel okay. room on my TV. I watched the pope being elected. The current one. No, Benny. Benny. One that peaced out. So he got elected in 2005 when I was on my high school senior trip to Paris. Had I been in America, I probably would not have seen that because I, I that's just not something that I would have yeah. turned on the TV to watch. But in France, it was it was just like yeah. you couldn't avoid it. It was on every TV. Like we're watching the the pope get elected the little white smoke thing that they do yeah such a big i feel like it's a big deal more in like european countries than it is here in states for sure so i remember him being elected so now that's why i'm very into this movie sad i forgot who our pope was papa francisc so what i was realizing as part of this movie is that they don't go by their real names okay those are not their real names they have a real name and then when you become Pope, you like pick a Pope name from a, a, a list of approved Pope names. Probably. All right. I guess. I, why can't you use your real name? You just don't. So like Pope Francis, that's not his name. His name's like George. <laughs> <laughs> He's Argentinian. Which one? Francisco? 
His name is. Does he ever have a Portuguese quote? Probably not. His name is George. George Mario Bergoglio. So maybe that's why they have to give like a basic name that people can pronounce. That's probably more like it. So there are a number of impediments to marriage, which is a Catholic marriage cannot be formed if one or more of the following impediments are given. So antecedent and perpetual impotence, which is a nice way of saying mm-hmm. you can't get it up. If you can't get it up, <laughs> you can't get married. Are you kidding me? Like, are they allowed to take Viagra? Probably not, right? But then if you, ca- if you have erectile dysfunction, you can't get married. If, you, if you're not having sex before marriage, how do you know that you can't get it up? Well, I guess on your own, you would find out. That's a mortal sin for finding out on your own. (laughs) So the next one is consanguinity to the fourth degree in the collateral line, which is a fancy way of saying first cousins. So they will not marry you to your first cousin. That's good. Good to know. Where were you with Queen Victoria? So the next impediment to marriage is affinity which is described as a relationship by marriage. So a brother-in-law. They won't marry you to your brother-in-law. That's good to know. So if the husband dies in a freak accident and you want to get with the brother-in-law. Nope, can't do it. That's what I'm reading out of this. I don't know if I'm reading this correctly, but that's that's what I'm seeing. Uh, Another impediment to marriage is a prior bond of marriage, even if not consummated. Okay, so if you're already married, okay. Okay. Holy orders, so with perpetual vows of chastity. So if you're a priest, you can't get married. Disparity of cult, which is meaning somebody from a different religion. One party not being baptized into a Christian denomination. They won't marry you. This one's called crimen, C-R-I-M-E-N which is described as one party previously conspiring to marry upon condition of the death of his or her spouse while still married, also called conjugicide. Conjugicide. Like conjugal visits (laughs) and homicide. Conjugicide. (laughs) So you can't conspire to marry someone else upon the death of your spouse. Another impediment to marriage is being underage, which is described here in parentheses as at least 16 for males, 14 for females. The fact that it's two different ages pisses me the fuck off. Yeah, and both are fucking young for both. They're both way too young. But the fact that it's even younger for women than it is for men is yeah, infuriating. And then the last impediment to marriage is abduction. They will not allow you to abduct somebody and then marry them. So it's good to know. Damn, so you're telling me that I can't kidnap my husband and make them marry me? No, you may not. So then you get into like divorce and annulment, which I always have found interesting because the Catholic Church does not allow divorce, right? They don't see divorce. They don't recognize divorce. It's not a thing for them. So if you were married in the church and you want to get remarried in the church at some later point, you need to get your marriage annulled, which means that you're basically needing to invalidate the marriage as if it never existed. The criteria for annulment is different than the criteria for divorce. For annulment, you need to prove that the marriage was never real. So it can't just be like, no, the marriage was real and we got married. And then subsequent to that, he was cheating on me or he did something bad or whatever. So we got a divorce. Anything that happens after the marriage, Mm -hmm. if it's considered like a real marriage, anything that happens after doesn't count for an annulment. So like if he intended when he married you to be faithful to you, then that's a real marriage. And then he just happened to not be faithful to you. You can't get an annulment. Happen to not be faithful to somebody. You didn't slide into someone. Right. Well, even if he chooses it, (laughs) that doesn't count for an annulment because it happened after. It happened after he intended to be faithful to you when he married you. 
you have to prove, which I can imagine is very difficult, you have to prove that they never intended to be faithful to you in the first place in order to get the annulment. So one way to maybe prove that is if he was like cheating on you prior to getting married. You married him anyway? like or, Right, I know. Or did those details Ugh. not come out until after the fact, right? Right, exactly. So I just think that's like, it's just a very interesting line that they tow with annulments and having to prove that behavior. I have a family member who's been married three times in the Catholic Church and they have successfully gotten two annulments. Oh, dang. I just, I remember it vividly as a kid, like, because my mom was like part of the process of she needed to be like a witness to stuff and she had to like write up all this shit about the marriages. One of them had to do with like, like a narcissist and like manipulative personality. And I'm like, how do you prove that that was like that they never entered the marriage with the right intentions or something like it was just woo, lots, lots to unpack there. But I guess as long as you keep sending your envelopes to the church, they'll know whatever <laughs> the fuck you want. I'm not a big, obviously, church person. So I don't care if I get married in church. I don't even have a desire. I'm totally like I said, I can go down to City Hall do it up that way and call it a day it's hard for me to like understand people that will go through all this just so they can get married to the church again like it's like you're that passionate about being like a catholic or a church going person like i know an older cousin that didn't get confirmed when she was younger because she's like half catholic half i think like buddhist because her father is uh vietnamese so her mom just kind of did like the baptism for her and like communion. And then she was like, you can decide what you want to do, like if you want to be confirmed or not. And she didn't do the confirmation for a while. And then she was like, oh, crap, if I want to get married in a church, I need to be confirmed. So she knew she wanted to get married already in a church. So she had to do adult confirmation. I see. I don't look at, at like getting married in church so important. And I understand it is for a lot of people. But to me, I'm just like. No, I don't want to do that work. I'm not going to do that just so like I can get married by this dude. <laughs> so a valid sacramental consummated marriage is indissoluble, meaning like no divorce. It's till death do you part. However, an unconsummated marriage can be dissolved by the Pope as a vicar of Christ. So if you get married, but you don't have sex. You can go to the Pope himself and he, <laughs> he will dissolve your marriage. So you're traveling to Rook and Rome to go get your marriage dissolved? All I'm picturing is like, oh, oh, the girl with the cake smash in her face. <sighs> Do you think she went to Rome to get an annulment by the Pope? Because she's like, listen, it's my wedding night. I left the reception. We did not consummate this marriage. I need you to dissolve it for me. But what happens if you've had sex before? You did, but you didn't consummate the marriage, but you already, that doesn't matter? No, I think it's consummating the marriage. Mm, I don't know. It's a good question. My question is like, who's going to know? Who's going to know? Yeah, no, we definitely didn't consummate. You can divorce us. Like, we didn't, <laughs> we never consummated. It's okay. He was too drunk. He fell asleep first. <laughs> yeah. So I need to divorce him now before he dies in 10 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, there was a line in my Pope movie yesterday. Pope Francis was arguing with Pope Benedict about like the changing times and how Benedict was really conservative and he was really stuck in all the past teachings of the church and Francis wanted to be more progressive and to do things based on like humanity. He said, you know, the times are changing. Like you have to, he said, I have changed. I'm, I'm doing things differently now than I used to, or seeing things differently now than I used to. And that he wanted to like keep up with the modern changing times. Like the times demanded the change is basically what Pope Francis was saying. So then Pope Benny says back to him, he says, a church that marries the spirit of the age will be widowed in the next. Meaning like if you adjust your church to the modern age, 
basically your church is going to die. Let it die. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's the mentality, though. Like, that's so, that's the thinking. Is this based on, like, true, like, true, like, events, too? Like, was that, do we know if that was, like, something that was actually said? Okay, I don't, I can't, I can't confirm <laughs> Not that sentence was said. <laughs> right, no, but was this, is the movie based on, like... Inspired by true events. Okay. Yes. He probably did say that. <laughs> that's, that's the mentality, though. It's exactly that. It's like, no, we have to stay in these old, antiquated times in order to keep people fucking believing in us. Otherwise, if we get too modern with the times, then what's the fucking point of the church? And uh, it's so stupid. But anyways, we're going to go to our mental health segment because <laughs> everything about the church is a downer. So we're going <laughs> to pep it up a little, get ourselves into our mental health segment. I'm just going to share one that's kind of fun. And it's basically just sharing something with you about stress reducing. So obviously we all know that like, Finding ways to reduce our stress is good for our mental health. Something that I think is kind of a fun, quirky, innovative, speaking of modern times, new technological advance that can help reduce stress is artificial intelligence, AI, chat GPT. I don't know if anybody has heard of this, but it's like, I don't know what they call it, like open open AI or something. So it's it's literally like chat.openai.com. You go to it. It's called ChatGPT. Right now, it's free. It's like beta version. They're like testing this out. I don't know if they'll charge for it at some point. Who knows what what it'll evolve to? But it's basically like it's kind of like a a Google meets like an Ask Jeeves situation from the '90s, where like you're not necessarily just like googling random stuff, but you're actually like asking it to do stuff for you. And it's a lot of it is like written the written word and writing copy. And that sort of thing. So it's like very interesting the types of things that you can ask it to do. It's like it's like a little assistant for you, and it's very talented. Oh wow! Ask it to do anything. You'd be like, write website copy for the support our podcast show page, and it will just spit out like all this amazing copy for your website. Write a tweet for me, and it will literally about this, and it will construct a tweet for you with the hashtags and all, and like, and it's doesn't seem like it's written by ai it's like very much has learned human behaviors which is a little bit scary but also like could be a tool you know you could just be like write a blog post for me about this and it Mm -hmm. will fucking pull it and you could be as specific as you want you can infer tone so you can say write a funny blog post for me about this tell me about toxic traits of this compose an email for me about x it is really fun to play with. It could prove to be useful to reduce stress by helping you, whether it's like a little assistant for you at your job or in your personal life, it's helping you do stuff. But like it has the ability to do a lot of things and you just need to figure out how best to harness it to help you reduce your own stress. And so I did a fun thing with it right before I came on to this record this podcast. I wanted a new way to refer to our listeners. You know how like podcasts have like listener bases and they like call them certain things? Yeah. Like I think like like the morbid podcast calls them like weirdos or something. Like, oh, like our weirdos, hey weirdos, like whatever it is. Like I need we need like a name for our listener base. So it was just called them our listeners. And we're like, we need like a a name for this. A name. And so I went to my little chat GPT. <laughs> and what'd you type? And I typed, give me ideas for names that I can call the listeners of an immigrant culture podcast. That's that, that specific. That's specific. Immediately back, it said, sure, here are some ideas for names. And it gave me 20 things and they're really fucking funny. Oh, I'm excited. I haven't even like fully gone through these yet, but I'm going to read them out. I, I don't think we're going to use any of these unless maybe we'll put them out to a vote. Yeah. You don't think any of them? I don't know. Let me, let me, 
let me read them to you. They sound like a little bit like I was trying to name like a fantasy football team. Like that's the that's the vibe I'm getting from these names. So we have <laughs> the diaspora dialogue. Hello, diasporas. Culture connectors. Newcomers network. The heritage hive. The international tribe. Hello, international tribers. I don't know. I'm not loving any of these yet. <laughs> no, they're, they're pretty bad, but they're really funny. The homeland heroes. The border breakers. Good evening, border breakers. <laughs> the global gathering. The roots rendezvous. The immigrant insiders. <laughs> the immigrant insiders. I think out of all of them so far. <laughs> Transplant tribe, the homecoming crew, the expat explorers. These are so long. <laughs> hey, expats. <laughs> the community crusaders, the wanderlust warriors, the cultural ambassadors, the alien allies. The aliens. <laughs> The aliens, I kind of am liking. Like, yeah, I like the aliens. Our aliens. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm kind of liking aliens. Yeah. Just I'm throwing that out there. Not the alien allies because that's too much. But melting pot party and the passport posse. Yes, <laughs> all these are so long though. Yeah, I think they confused listener-based names with naming a fantasy football team. No, that's awesome, though. But I am liking the aliens. I am, too. What's up, my little aliens? Yeah. Mm, I'm, I I'm like digging that. it. See you later, aliens. Mm. I'm liking it. We're going we're gonna to try it out for a while, see if it sticks. <laughs> See you later, aliens, and thanks for listening. Tell all your little alien friends to come and rate, <laughs> rate our podcast. Yes, rate, review, subscribe. We'll take a review in any language you like to leave it in. <laughs> as long as you come in peace. 